0: Oh man, it's been a crazy day. I am so glad to finally be sitting down here and just kind of chatting a little bit here. So, uh, so James, what's the story in residential air parks? Did, I didn't know there was a residential air park at Sun and Fun.
2: Well, not at Sun and Fun, but actually about 2 miles south of there there is a residential air park X49. I think it's Lakeland South. Uh-huh. Uh and in fact, I overflew that at night with that EVS system that I want to talk about later, and actually got to see it. I could have landed on it at night, even though it's unlighted with that EVS system. But uh, there is a residential airpark right by Lakeland, and there are the booths, of course, of residential airparks from all over the United States there displaying their wares. Booths which I have previously ignored pretty much every time I go by, and, and usually there's not too many people around them. Right. Now, what did you discover? It, well, I discovered, and also with some phone calls that I made, making some inquiries beforehand, that there are a growing number of them. Uh, they are now not just in the Sun Belt. They're all over. The only states that don't have a residential air park now are Hawaii and Rhode Island. Uh-huh. And, and well, the that's reason- kind of
1: understandable.
2: Yes. We can understand why Hawaii wouldn't... And uh, Rhode Island, I guess, it's just a matter of size at this point. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's probably
1: just one one across the line in, in Massachusetts, right? right? Size
3: yeah. does matter. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you couldn't know, resist. very <laughs> good. No, I couldn't. I had to sneak something in here. They're, they're, they're off in their little tear. And I had go to ahead. say something. Go ahead, James. And don't you, let him distract you. 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 Keep going. Well, yeah, don't, don't, don't pay I pay no no man behind the curtain.
2: I assume you're referring to the size of the air park because they. No, of well, Hawaii and big.
3: Rhode Island. <laughs> size referring me. to the
2: size of the state. I mean, yeah. oh. Rhode Island's so freaking small,
1: and Hawaii has so little level space.
2: Well, yeah. for Hawaii, where are you going to go in your airplane? What's the reason to have one? Maybe you have, uh, you know, island to island. You have to go on business, but. Would you buy a plane for that? Would you want to be flying over that ocean and, and other than to Hawaii you can't go anywhere. So you know what? Over the ocean,
1: that airplane didn't know any difference from over the That's mountains right. or you know.
2: But the <laughs> amount of time you would spend over the water there, I that would give me a little pause. I can just see why, you know, not sort of uh, recreational flying has not it's, caught on to the extent in Hawaii that right. They, it's not they, a place I'd want to
1: regularly commute to in a single engine airplane. Right, but cruising <laughs> around inner island, I can see I can see a, a couple of little airplanes on amphib floats being just the hot ticket uh, living mm. in Hawaii, capable well. of doing inner island and uh, and you know, not a not a huge freak out if the engine quits.
2: Yeah. Dave, it's wide open for a residential airport developer.
3: Well, of yeah, there you go. Here's your opportunity. Yeah. All you got to do is come up with a million or so to buy enough <laughs> flat land. Yeah.
1: What's taking A million going to get me five feet of water frontage? Yeah. Uh.
0: Now, of course, our friend Amy Lobota is uh, a fan yeah. of, uh, of Air Parks. She actually lives on one. Um, yes. Have you guys ever considered? I haven't. Have you ever considered?
3: Uh, a- I, I have. And, and, and Amy lives on a very nice one. And, and they, she and her husband have a very nice house. I was... Uh, I was fortunate enough to visit them recently um, um, great hangar had you know three airplanes in the hangar and wow. and uh that kind of thing uh more than a little bit envious um and and uh, I have from time to time you know investigated uh residential airports um two two things one is you know I still have a day job and mm-hmm. um uh, the, the air parks, at least around the Sarasota area, are not convenient to the city. Not convenient to to the office anyway. Um, second thing is, um, rough rule of thumb that I've seen is, you pay, I would guess, you know, a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollar premium um, to live on an air park versus the same house in a residential area. Um, I can commute to a lot of airports for a hundred and fifty grand
0: mm-hmm.
3: well the uh, thing to-
1: re- thing to remember is if you've got a place to keep the airplane at home yeah uh, there there's a number of inconveniences that you take off the expense account uh, there uh yep. like hangar and tie down uh yep. and maybe even if you're lucky uh buying fuel from somebody uh, mm-hmm. some places will let you tanker enough fuel to serve yourself or the community will come together and pool their money and buy wholesale and everybody buys back at whatever the last load costs no add-ons.
2: And and based on what I saw there I'm I'm not sure if that figure that premium holds true at all of them because there were some of them that were pitching themselves that hey we are like for the average Joe or Jane pilot that doesn't have a lot and, and you know And so we decided we're not putting in the paved strip we're putting in the Bermuda grass strip it'll do right. just as well right. we'll save on the expense you know <laughs> So you do find all sorts of variety, and depending on what your situation is, that seems there's more and more options out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's been a story in the news recently about an airpark down there in Florida, hopefully not Amy's, I'm pretty sure not Amy's, but that's, uh, that's going through the normal, uh, the, re- the local neighbors don't like the airport nearby. I don't think it's an air park yet. I think they want to
1: turn it into.
0: Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, I know the
1: one you're talking about. I can't shop. Wasn't there also a?
3: Wasn't there also a story of a? uh, Maybe it was just a private strip uh, somewhere south of where I am. I'm not sure south and southeast, as I recall, but uh, apparently was involved in running drugs. Uh, Ah. Yeah, um, I uh, hadn't there. thought.
2: Who'd have thought of that? Now, yeah, I mean, not as a, you mean not as a community enterprise.
3: <laughs> well, no, but someone <laughs> at that at that facility brings down the condo fees, and uh, <laughs> there, there goes the neighborhood. You know, but uh, I. So I, we're I,
1: leasing out the excess land to a farmer. We don't know what he's growing. He's got a big fence. <laughs>
3: Uh, Well, I
2: have uh, been to airports in Indiana where they've got corn growing up just about to the roommates because they lease out that land. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Well, and and I have a buddy, an EA buddy, a chapter buddy here in New England um, who uh, lives on an airport, and now I'm blanking on the name, but it's a really nice one up near uh, Lake Ossipee up in uh, New Hampshire here. Well, I also a
3: property in the... T- he, in,
0: he invites the whole chapter over to his hangar, which, of course, is right out behind his house, for a barbecue every right. August, and uh, it's it's very pleasant, and it's fun to just kind of hang out there by the edge of his his
3: backyard and watch airplanes land. And uh, um, I, I looked at some property in the Tidewater area of Virginia uh, a couple of years ago. Um, some very close friends um, um, bought a... Uh, uh, small house. They're, they're in the process of uh, of remodeling and, and enlarging it and whatnot. But the, the great little grass strip there and uh, uh, several, I don't know, 8 or 10 or maybe 11 lots uh, already subdivided out on the property. Um, but um, the way it was structured, the way the subdivision rules were structured, I could have bought the property but then I would have to build uh, on it in in a uh, limited amount of time, uh, and yeah. I I couldn't commit to that. So right, right. Uh, um, that 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 particular area of Virginia is always, a, uh, in my mind anyway, a pretty good investment area. But uh, or, you know, over the long term, or you know, it was before the real estate crash. But yeah. uh, hmm. um, it, I couldn't make the numbers work um, at that particular time. Uh, plus although it was a great strip and uh a nice quiet peaceful area um there wasn't any place nearby to go there wasn't any nightlife mm-hmm. nearby. there wasn't any there weren't any restaurants mm-hmm. nearby
1: there was no life outside the airport yeah
3: yeah and um um sure i could you know fly from there to dc fly from there to you know wherever um but um if you want to have a beer or two with dinner, that means staying overnight. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's it's. Um, yeah. Dave Squier well, is a
0: bit of an expert on this subject, isn't he? Doesn't he? I mean, he's he's,
2: you know, he's, he's got an association
1: and, called yeah. Living with Your Plane Association. Uh huh.
2: Yeah. He he. I, I spoke with him on the phone at, at some length before Sun and Fun, and then talked to him also at Sun and Fun. So yes, he is kind of the source that people cite. He says that there are, he catalogs a little over 600 Mm -hmm. now, uh, and he thinks the real number is, because he says, hey, there's always ones we don't hear about, could be close to 800. And and he also... You know, if it's, I think, a $20 subscription year. He's got information on just about all of them and also a checklist because this is something you want to make sure you know what you're doing for all the reasons that we're talking about or the reasons you need to know the pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. So he's got a whole checklist uh, among other resources. And then somebody at, uh, at Spruce Creek, one of the real estate people from there, and that is the largest residential air park, and it's also tremendously diverse yeah. Uh, down at sun and fun they had like some sort of condo villa for one hundred and sixty thousand, hundred and sixty thousand, and then they had an estate at 5.6 million all in this part of the same
3: mm-hmm. yeah. community it, it's not only one of the largest if not the largest it's also one of the most well-known yeah. Perhaps mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the other one that's as well known as john travolta's jambalair uh, jambalair yeah yeah um
0: where's that located
3: north of north even east of tampa as i recall uh-huh. yeah it's, it's it was yeah it's just yeah.
2: near near ocala pretty near Ocala. yeah, ocala, little, yeah that's a little right east
3: yeah
2: but just to to finish yeah, they, up with they, this they didn't like him at
1: spruce creek well they liked no. him well, enough like it was a, didn't 707. a 707 they did <laughs>
2: like <him. laughs> Which you can see, I've been to and you and you can that's see That's the main the thing that keeps me
0: from getting a 707, that they're just going to push it around. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Just, uh, yeah,
1: well, that, just only a matter of the size of the wallet or the credit card behind like, it. That's right. Like, that's
3: I right. care what other people think. You know? I'm sorry, James. Finish your thought.
2: Well, just the, the uh, real estate person from Spruce Creek said the two things to ask yourself. Uh, you know, if for the non-flying person, what am I going to do? You know, that doesn't involve airplanes, and for the flying person who has to look ahead, what am I going to do here if at some point in the future I can't fly airplanes?
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I find the whole thing very—I find the whole thing appealing enough. So, the
3: other—the other thing to add to that is, you know, we always talk about, you know, the gloom and doom of of general aviation, how it's a shrinking community and a shrinking industry. Um, and you know, we talk about the price of fuel. We talk about the price of of operating an airplane. Um, how you know? Let's let's say you you uh, you buy such a, a a piece of property, and you live there for X number of years. How do you know in say fifteen twenty years that it will have any value? Mm-hmm. Let, yeah. That there yeah. will be any demand for it, and. Uh, what kind of difficulty might you have in selling it? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
2: that's certainly something that's raised that it takes a lot longer to sell, yeah, than it would on a regular property. And then, in terms of what's going to be in fifteen years, there, you know, that's I guess the popularity of through-the-fence operations, like one a real life-scale right. place in Sandpoint, Idaho, that was just that just publicly announced. So they have through-the-fence. Uh, access to the municipal airport at uh, Sand Point, which is a huge advantage. But there are some well, rules, what does that and mean? I don't understand mean
0: all through r- the fence. Well,
2: it so means that it you somehow- can. You can you
1: can come from your private property, residential property, yeah, and taxi your airplane okay. through the perimeter fence onto a publicly owned, public use airport. I see.
3: Okay. If they agree to give you access, and through the fence also kind of refers to uh, um, maintenance service operations that are not physically located on the airport, yeah, uh, mm. be they transient in nature or or fixed uh... with a fixed address. I see well how Hal,
1: Hal Shevers at Sporty's has got a lot of info on on what it takes to get a public airport uh, compatible uh, mm-hmm. and 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 allow for through the fence operations for re- residential area because yeah. they've worked on it, and he's the guy well, that started Sporty. so you
3: know the, the, and
2: he has his own. he formed one right there right but right there but and got his, it through the fence residential right, air park yeah. and and uh, supposedly, the uh, well-known head, about to retire of one of the Alphabet groups, has bought land there and is going to live there. Who might that be? Hmm. Hey. Uh, <laughs> David,
0: you started to say something a few minutes ago. What was? It? Hard to tell. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, all right, it'll come back to us later on. So um,
1: the, you, you know, the other? Talking,
0: you're talking about
1: residential air parks. It, you know, it, years ago, I had the ambition of working on my own as a freelancer my own office where uh, you know I didn't dance the the Dilbert cubicle tune every day of the week and so forth and and that came true
3: and whatever I was gonna say whatever happened to that dream yeah (laughs) that came true you
1: know the uh, starving artist alive and well in Wichita but another aspiration has always been to live on a runway or with access to a runway yeah Mm -hmm. and about a year after we made the freelance thing happen we bought ten acres on a private runway down in Tennessee. Oh really? Mm. So do you still have it? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. It's paid for and you know the the property taxes are ridiculously low and on lots adjacent to our property a number of uh, really nice low six figure homes have gone up. And when you talk six figure homes in in that part of the country uh, Tennessee you, you're getting a lot of getting a lot of sp- Footage. I'm talking yeah. two hundred and fifty, two hundred seventy-five thousand, three hundred thousand-dollar places when they were put up. How big is the runway? And, uh, it's, uh, I believe, it's twenty-five hundred feet by thirty-five feet. Is it paved or grass? It's grass. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a little bit low in the middle and high at both ends, and it's on a mountain. Uh, it's on a a flat-top mountain uh, northwest of Chattanooga
0: wow cool. that, uh, yeah maybe that's, that's where we can have the ucap fly in uh, about cool, 1600
1: yeah. and change above sea level mm-hmm. and having flown out of beaumont kansas in a number of airplanes beaumont is 1600 above sea level uh and 2500 feet yeah i'm comfortable that anything i can fly in and out of beaumont i'd be able to fly out of this place yeah. in tennessee so yeah.
3: the well, ambition the other-
1: is to move down there and build a place in a couple yeah. of years
3: the uh one of the things here we we're, we're kind of dancing around too is you know the residential air park implies you know more than one um, residence uh right. associated with yes. the runway The other thing of course that it is, um, you know a piece of property with a private strip on it.
1: That's right, and there's a lot of that around
3: here. One of these days, I have some family property in Georgia, and one of these days, you know, the long-range plan is to maybe level out some of it and sow some grass and uh, water it down a little bit and call it a runway. There you go. Cool. I would say, cool. if you Excellent. could put
1: 3,000 feet in there, you'd be comfortable yeah.
2: year-round.
3: I, th- I figure t- 3,000 by 50, and I'd be a happy camper. You Do you go. have
2: to get any uh, approval for that? From you know, I know the FAA is you know is fine it, with it. A lot of it depends
3: other. on the state and the county. Um, this is very rural; it's farm property, uh, so I don't think there'd be, be any zoning issues. Um, the county, uh, I doubt. Given the nature of the county itself, I doubt they would have any regulation or uh, or rules. The only trick would be whether there is a state law. Regarding private airport or private runways, uh, what notifications I must provide to neighbors, and uh, what kind of clear zones or other, you know. Um, I researched some of the
1: FAA stuff for mm-hmm. uh, for a lawyer friend not long ago, and uh, wait,
3: well, you, if you have want To do friend? this
1: and make it official with the FAA, you can find out everything you need to know in mm-hmm. Part One Fifty Seven. Yeah. Hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, we better move on here. Let me uh, let me make this thing official by saying, welcome, folks, to episode number eighty-one of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Thursday evening, May eighth, two thousand and eight. It's my sister's birthday, and I almost forgot. Oh. But I did talk to her earlier today, so that's so, so I'm good. Seven, Seven days, days later. later. Yeah. That's right. So. Uh, uh it's been beautiful up here in Boston. Let me say hi to the uh, the rest of the gang here in the virtual hangar. Uh one of those voices out there is Jeb Burnside who's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi Jeb, how you doing? Hey Jack, I'm fine. You
3: say it's been beautiful in in Boston, huh? Well, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know how <laughs> hot and humid it was down there today. That's It's the- it's it was a little humid but there's you know maybe a 10 knot breeze the whole day i at lunch I got out on the bike and i was running some errands and I got a you know a, a three season black leather jacket on and i'm running up and down and and whatnot on the bike and i i didn't have any issues at all yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't that hot. Well, the so.
0: motorcycle part sounds good, but uh, maybe
3: maybe my maybe my blood is so thin that it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Also, out there with that uh, with that evil cackle is uh, Dave Hignon and Dave is joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I'm
1: doing fine, man. Uh, we have had well, we figured out the secret to lawn management here. <laughs> in the <last> few days. <laughs> What's that? Drown it. Oh, I Drown it. Drown uh-huh. it. We got almost two inches night before last. We got an inch and three-quarter, 36 hours before that, and about a half inch two days before that. Oh, uh, oh. You know, no it's, tornadoes? No, no. All the really nasty stuff has is, uh, is, uh, not been part of this. That's all been kicking up east of us. We, we seem to, unfortunately, be... Uh, Seeing all that stuff get visited on Arkansas and Virginia recently. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's gorgeous here today, and we're not expecting Level 4 weather until about 11 or 12 o'clock tonight. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, all right. Just wait a minute, and you'll see what happens, huh? That's right. That's, that's like, right. Yeah.
3: If you don't like the weather in Kansas, just wait. It'll. That's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> that's right. Click your heels together three times and say...
0: <laughs> I think I can't. No, that's not it. It's uh, uh, no place like home. No place like home. Also with us in the virtual hangar this evening is James Winbrandt. And ja- where are you, James? Are you? St- I'm in.
2: I'm in St. Augustine, Florida. You're still Lovely in Florida. Huh? Yes. Are you becoming another... more of a year-round Florida guy, or are you going no. back to New York? Yes, I'm going back uh, towards the end of the month.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, how are you doing down there? Are you? Uh... Uh,
2: great. Uh, the weather's been lovely. We. It's been a, a great season. Now, is Florida and, Florida, or do there
0: are there like microclimates? Is Tampa oh, different St. Augustine?
2: I, there are pretty much three distinct bands, and we're in the northeast, so we definitely are cooler uh, in the winter than in the the southern parts of the state. But uh it takes a little <clears throat> longer to warm up and get unbearable, although we've been in the eighties the last couple of days, so it's definitely warming up. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you get really shore breeze in the pretty good hard. in the summer,
1: don't you? What's that? I say you get a shore breeze pretty well in the summer, don't you?
2: A pretty much year round here, if you know, where it's all right on, on the coast and there's always a usually a pretty nice breeze going. That's
3: right. Really uh, in the southern part of uh, South Georgia, though, there. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, yeah, just about. Like the from golden from a
3: weather standpoint, anyway. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it's, as you're flying down here, invariably, you know, if you look at the, the map of the states, the east coast curves to the west as it goes down, mm-hmm. and then right at the, you know, where Florida starts, it curves back out to the east. And like. Whenever you're flying down, the weather invariably changes right there. If it's been sunny, you'll run into a sudden cloud bank, and you'll have to kind of get on instruments and declare instruments to get into St. Augustine. If it's been crappy, suddenly it clears out right there. So it's interesting what, what happens from a weather point of view because of the geography.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts, where it's definitely turned into a nice time of the year. So Our Jack H. Going to start doing some flying real soon now. Good. Anyways, uh, so, uh, David, you put on the list, I think it was you, who put on this story about mixing meds and flying. Uh, is, can, yeah. Can you tell us a little you, bit about uh, what, what caught your your attention here? Yeah, it was a, uh, an
1: NTSB finding uh, on a... Cessna 340 accident. Oh, G man, when was the date on this puppy? I'm looking at it. I guess uh, 1222
0: 2006.
1: Uh-huh. And uh, we'll we'll post a link to the yeah. to the report. But the, the basic thing is that we had a uh, a medical professional whose. Uh, unfortunately uh, tests performed on his remains by the FAA's uh, lab in Oak City found uh, traces high traces of a uh, uh a pain reliever used in the management of moderate to severe pain uh-huh mm. uh something called tramadol and they uh,
0: Say apparently that the, uh, it led him to the, be it was, very, very disoriented in trying to approach and land at this airport.
1: It was at least, the dosage was at least twice that of maximal regular doses of the substance. Where does uh, it
3: say he was a medical professional? Uh, I read that somewhere else. Okay. Okay, I, I accept that, but I, I just I just didn't see it in the report. Yeah, it's
1: not. it's not in you know. here. Uh, I yeah. don't want to step too far out of bounds without finding what i what I read, but what led me to this probable cause finding yeah. was a, a report in one of the wire servers, one of the internet things that you and we all get every day or yeah. a couple of times a week, uh, and I mean, it identified the guy as a doctor. Mm-hmm, and, okay. uh, uh, Is it
0: the idea that he was self-medicating here, or was he prescribed by another doctor?
1: Notwithstanding the possibility that it was self-medicating, mm-hmm. and I'm not making that claim or that idea by any stretch even if he was under the care of another professional the idea of a doctor who knows who should know this stuff well having twice the usual dosage in his system and going flying right i'm sorry i'm sorry uh you know big bad for the other people
0: yeah let me yeah, see if bad I can, for the other people they didn't deserve that. Read a little bit of the description of what happened here. So this uh, guy was flying into Charleston Executive Airport. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He contacted uh, Unicom to request an advisory. The airport employee informed the pilot that the winds were from 180 at 12 knots, gusting to 17. The pilot then responded he would be landing on runway 18 and was advised that there was no runway 18. The pilot then stated they would land on 27. Shortly after that, he said he'd land on 22. Uh, then uh, the employee stepped out to watch this uh, with his own yeah, eyes. Yeah, I would
3: have also. <laughs> yeah.
0: he said that the airplane was uh, southwest of the airport, moving northeast, perpendicular to 2-2, um, at approximately 500 feet. He watched as the airplane was on a left base for 2-2. He said the airplane overshot the runway and began a tight, low right turn away from the airport. Shortly thereafter, the airplane stalled and completed two revoli- revolutions before it was lost from the employee's sight. And there's more here, but uh, the guy... Who seems to have been very, very disoriented, and ultimately something, probably that, took his life. Well, Well, it's
2: a number of things, but, you know, the 500 feet on the downwind, the ceiling was 2,800 feet broken. Why he was down that low, and, you know, if he was as disoriented as it sounds, you would have expected he would have died on making that turn to final. At that low altitude where he has to keep his airspeed down. And well, this is sort just, of be too fast. And then well, to, this just know,
1: goes uh, to the this just goes to, to the underlying lesson here. OK, the guy was in from from the report here was in comfortable VMC oh, yes. and had been for a couple of thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he misses the he, he misidentifies the runways. He changes the runways. Mm-hmm. Then he overshoots uh uh, and then turns out man, I guess because he decided he was going to go around and come back and try to hit it right the next time mm-hmm. uh
2: did he apply power do do we know if he you know went to full power at, at that point we no. don't see we don't see that in the
1: synopsis here, but it <clears> seems to me so uh hard to get past this reality that the guy was
2: over medicated Yep. Yeah. Okay, he now, was over-medicated. Now, look, let's just... It, it, we don't know anything about this case, but there are people out there who are over-medicated, and at a certain point, I mean, they don't respond, not in any way to condone this, but is... what well, is this? I,
1: I understand what well, you're talking about. I've known alcoholics who were like that. If the, If they had a base amount of alcohol every day, they were perfect stone cold sober performing people
3: let's, let's back up a second I, I don't i don't do we really mean to imply that there are pilots out there who are over medicating themselves well I, some, I'm not, somebody I'm, launched I'm here that it.
1: was over medicated because he didn't come by that substance in his blood system uh, you know by uh, mm-hmm. transporter
3: mm-hmm. well I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that but i guess um, um, Someone someone made a statement that we know know there's a lot of people out there who over-medicated. And I'm I'm just trying to get at whether or not we're talking about pilots.
2: Oh, I'm not when I if, if oh, I said just, something like that. Not no, just. I'm not. I don't mean a to say that by any means. Yeah. no.
0: I mean, no, regardless of the that. details of this particular incident, it is a it is a very very you know stark object lesson about uh, well, it, it you know how you need to be careful about this stuff. And took, I think three, Dave took, is right. He, he took
2: the lives of his family. It's one thing to you know it would have been terrible enough if he did it to himself, but he was responsible yeah. for his passengers. Yeah.
0: You really, really need to be careful about this kind of thing. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
3: Look, I agree with everything everybody said. However, if you look at the the details on on this particular accident, you'll see that it's almost a classic uh, overshoot, a base to final overshoot where the nose is up, the airspeed's back, the power's back, and he stalls and spins.
2: Can't dispute Uh that. Can't Um, dispute that.
3: He's doing a go round. He was
2: doing a go round.
3: I'm not sure he was doing a go-around. I thought he was maneuvering for the landing. I, they yeah. said he went off to, didn't they? S-
1: said he turned away from the runway.
3: Oh, okay, okay.
2: Yeah, um, that, that, the, he turned away from the runway. What, a, what, a tight, low, right turn away from the airport. And, what, uh, what, he,
1: what sets me up for believing that this is a case of uh, somebody being medicated to the point that they should have known better than to fly -hmm. Is the uh, immense amount of confusion exhibited when he went VMC 2,300 feet higher than he came over the airport? Yeah, Uh, you know, he gave one name wrong. One, he gave the name of a runway that didn't exist. Then he gave one that I guess did exist, and then changed it to yet another. uh, Then overshot it, uh, and. It's hard to imagine him stalling and spinning if he powered up in that turn. I mean, that doesn't generally happen mm-hmm. when you power up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just a sequence of things, you know, like most bad accidents. Never one yep. single element. Yeah,
2: he was right. behind the eight ball on many on many levels. Obviously, behind 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 the eight ball of putting that power in if you're trying to climb away on about a tight point? turn on a tight turn, no less. Yeah. But
1: 20 years ago, I found evidence of a professional pilot who had been in the left seat of a heavy airliner on approach into DFW for a major carrier, and made the conscious decision, audible on on the CVR, to fly into a storm showing visible lightning. Hmm. Uh, couldn't see the runway, but he was on the he was on the glide slope. The ILS was all locked in. They were right on track but he's looking at a black cell with lots of lightning and they can't see through it with radar made a conscious decision to go ahead through that come to find out there was evidence that he'd been taking an antipsychotic medication that would have grounded him mm. using multiple doctors multiple pharmacies not reporting to the company physician not reporting on his medical not showing up in his uh... His six months Renewals because with the first class you do a six month. The first officer wasn't real wild about the idea, but the captain <laughs> overruled him. Uh, and it, it it goes to this is wasn't a painkiller, and it wasn't this other substance that this guy had, diphenhydramine. I don't know what that is, but the NTSB said that it alone could have impaired him. So it, it comes down to you know that 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 drunken judgment thing.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, you know, yeah. you've had enough that you're in, you know, you're impaired, but you
0: don't feel impaired. So you say, I'm fine. Yeah, it didn't work. We need to be careful out there. We need to yeah. be careful out there. On a more positive note, um, James, when we were in uh, in uh, Florida, uh, when we were all in Florida, and as opposed to <laughs> those of you who still are, when we were at Sun and Fun, um, you dropped a little hint that you were about to go off and fly this husky in the dark with these uh, yes. cool instruments. What became of that?
2: Well, I uh, I went out in the dark and uh, indeed got to fly the Husky. Now, that's the, the new uh, A1C. And, uh, you know, the Husky is, I, I don't know how many people know a whole lot about it, but it was uh, designed by Frank Christensen. He had wanted to get the rights to the Piper Cub when the Cub went out of production in the mid-80s. And uh Piper rebuffed him, so he decided, okay, I will uh, you know, create my own, got some uh his designers and whatnot, and uh built this plane and kind of the idea was to build a, a state of the art uh super cub. Mm-hmm. And kind of that's what they did and and it's been a sort of an evolution. Uh the B model, what they did a lot was add some finesse to the control surfaces and such, so it's a smoother handling airplane. And now with the C, what they did is they beefed up uh, a bunch of the structures, the the tailplane, the uh gear, uh some heavier uh stuff on on the flap controls and such, so that now they've kind of restored the so it's now it's just as brawny as it as it is uh smooth to fly again. And uh, they have kind of upped the ante on what's available with it with this EVS uh, enhanced vision system. Right, forward-looking infrared. Yes, it is. And uh, it is designed by this company, EVS. Uh, They're based out of Pennsylvania. Essentially, there is a unit that sits atop the cabin outside. It's very you know it 's I mean you see it, but it, it the drag is negligible that it creates. I think it weighs a pound and a half for this unit, yeah that sounds about right, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it can be ported out, it will display on uh, various mfds or on a dedicated monitor, and on this uh all we had this was kind of the first was essentially the screen from a, the back seat of a commercial airliner. So not really great quality screen, but it ports out to this. And that sat up atop the glare shield, uh, you know, maybe I would say maybe five inches by four inches. And it's a, nice it, yeah. a nice size. Yeah, nice size. It uh, provides, uh, let's see, I uh, 40 degrees forward, 30 degrees high. So you get, you know, a nice kind of forward view, and uh, it will see through haze, through smoke, and uh, most importantly, I would say, through darkness. Uh So we fired up after after dark, and uh, immediately on the taxiway, I mean, you can see things, you can see other planes, and it shows up. Albeit again, this was not the the you know the best monitor and whatnot, like a, a sort of a per, poor quality black and white TV uh-huh. in the day. And
1: things like paint stripes showed up as light colored oh. areas, and cooler yeah. areas showed up dark.
2: Hmm. And there was a place where a plane had been sitting on the ramp during the heat of the day, and then it <laughs> had left, and you could see the outline, <laughs> sort of like Oshkosh's ghosts, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's right. But you're taxing out. You can see all the whole lines. You can see people that might be running around out there wearing black, whatever. Uh-huh. That's cool. And so, you know, there's no chance of sort of going off the side of the runway or going past the whole line or wait, where exactly is the taxiway. You know, you can see all that clearly. And we take off. And he, you know, it, no pucker factor. Yeah, you look out the window and it's like there are, you know, thousands of points of light and black. And then you look at the monitor and you say, oh, that's a lake. There's a field. I see some trees in that field. Oh, look, there's a cow or a horse or something. And this is from a thousand feet. Mm hmm. And uh, you, you know, it just kind of brings so much safety. And, this oh, and is ma-
1: imagine how good it'd look on a uh, on a high quality aircraft yeah. cockpit MFD.
2: Exactly, and-, and this is just you know the first generation, and these will be merged with with synthetic vision from GPS databases. But here, if there is a deer on the runway, you're going to see it. Talk about runway incursion kind of things. At night, if there's an airplane there, you're going to see it. If he's off, you know, about to taxi on, you will see them. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, this company has done a hell of a job bringing this technology along because Gulfstream started developing its own uh, enhanced vision system and certified it on their Part 25 airplanes quite a number of years ago. And they just recently started developing a cockpit that lets them overlay uh, uh, synthetic vision images on a primary flight display. So now they got the best of both. But uh, this company that makes this unit that you flew, Mm -hmm. uh, they've gone through several incarnations, and now it's getting down into seriously affordable Mm -hmm. uh, uh, price territory.
2: The Gulfstream yeah. unit, I think, is you know we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: Oh, you're talking about three hundred to six hundred thousand dollars, depending on the installation and what you got to do with it. And, and what we, what's, unit, what's the
2: price tag like on the one you flew, James? This unit with a good monitor, twenty two thousand.
1: Great, and if you've now, already got I a multifunction display that'll take you, the video input, yeah, you only now, pay for the camera.
2: I don't see how a manufacturer who says I have to have a ballistic parachute in my plane because i'm concerned about the safety of my customers i don't see how they could not say i have to have an evs system in my plane because i'm concerned about the safety of my customers i mean it's just such a well, dramatic
3: difference you, you might you might want to uh hold on because you might be seeing that in the very near future i, I say, wouldn't uh, say, did surprised. somebody
1: announce that they were making that
3: uh, Garmin, uh, I, don't, I don't know about Garmin. I don't know what the I mean, I about their Maul. specific. Yeah, Mall is getting this system. Mall is, is going to have yeah. this same
2: system. So somebody might be working on others, but the sensors are difficult to get a hold of. Uh, you know, this this guy who's who's doing this company seems like they're. You know, very focused, and that they are looking for other customers. And you, you know, you do ask yourself, well, geez, you know, we knew that would migrate down to the GA world, but well, they, you know, I was thinking on- maybe a Malibu or something, right. a bush plane, and then you know, Stu Horn who you know bless him, had the the foresight to say yes i want this in in my airplane his answer is well look we fly out there we have no horizon there's no lights at night sometimes yeah. the weather goes down we got hills around we don't know hills. where we are yeah you call it now time. we see hills. everything mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well you're gonna right. see systems you're gonna see systems like this in at the ten thousand dollar point very shortly Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and i i I fully expect some of the major OEMs to uh, look at ways to ad- adapt I, this technology yeah. because they 're yeah. already delivering airplanes with multifunction displays that are capable of taking the input what they 're not going to want to do is put it on a pod on the roof yeah. but if they can integrate it into a port in the wing or mm-hmm. someplace vibration free you know elsewhere in the fuselage. So that it's as aerodynamic before the inst- after the installation as it is before. That's when you're going to see it start to show up on factory airplanes. Well, you could like
3: just do, you know put it in place of the landing light. Doesn't sound like you're going to need it anyway. But yeah. well, um, it
2: has to. It can't have glass in front of it.
3: Ah, okay. Well, I, I, I look for a, a major OEM avionics manufacturer to have a large announcement in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Cool.
2: cool. Well, a shout-out to Pat Farrell, who did develop the EVS, uh, who, you know, got its steward Horn kind of worked closely with him, but he developed it, and it, it happened uh, after a friend of his was killed in an AeroStar in uh, 2002 in Pennsylvania. A friend of his who was a you know a very good pilot, he felt, and it really made him angry, saying, you know, why don't we have this technology in our airplanes? You know, the military has it, and then he found out why, and it took him several years to get over the humps, but yeah. he he pulled this off.
3: Yeah. Very, Very cool. cool. Very cool.
0: Let's see now. Uh, our friends at the EAA have somehow calculated that this summer we will reach a milestone of having certificated the 30,000th amateur-built aircraft in the United States. This will occur
3: sometime
2: in late July. Yeah, that's right. So, And basically... Uh, how about that? Convenient. So, so
3: after, <laughs> yeah, yeah, convenient.
1: Timing, timing is everything. Well, when they wrote this... Uh, A little over a week ago, the FAA records showed, this is FAA records, 29,800 airplanes certificated as, I believe, experimental amateur built. I don't don't think they're including exhibition and developmental. Right, right. right. Uh, 29,800 certificated home builds, according to Charlie Becker at EAA. And we know Charlie, known Charlie a long time, knew he's good people and a straight shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, come July, they're figuring they're not going to know exactly who it is because you know we nobody has a crystal ball on exactly how Oklahoma City processes these papers when they come in.
3: Not even so they're city.
1: gonna they're gonna have a uh, little contest to pick an honorary thirty thousandth among the new airplanes the the ones that are newly certificated that show up at Oshkosh this year. It will be cool. And they're going to be given a special patch to anybody that flies a home-built in and registers it with home-built people. And, uh, but that's quite a number because uh, my earliest exposure to this, the uh, the, the the skeptics about home-builds were always sewing it up to me. There was only five or 6,000 of those things, you know. I mean, they're never going to catch on. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. That,
0: Thirty thousands of—I mean, what's the what's the total of the GA fleet these days?
1: Uh,
0: about
1: uh, 210, 220, if you include yeah, was, all the terms. Yeah,
3: say. Yeah, it's it's, it's above two hundred. Uh huh. And it seems like
1: we're pushing up on six thousand vans rv aircraft yeah, yeah. Out of that thirty thousand. Yeah. so if you want some perspective there's one kit maker out there that probably more than any other has helped spike these figures by big numbers in recent years yeah. sure that's, right. well, that's what amy and 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 uh, uh barry have built that's as an rv
0: that's right that's right well that'll be cool well, yet yet another thing to look forward to this summer uh in oshkosh uh, I guess we can't put it off any longer. Uh, we have to talk about FAA reauthorization. Uh, you have some sort of update for us? What's the latest on this? Who's, who's been... You guys follow this much more closely than I do, I think. And,
3: uh, Last I saw... I've just had a busy week here. I, I don't know all the, all the details. Last I saw is is it's been pulled from the schedule uh, for Senate consideration, yeah. uh, Which which means, basically, they don't know if or when it will come up. The uh, brief, very brief news blurb that I saw basically said um, there was a the, – some some senators continue to be in disagreement about provisions, unrelated – provisions in the bill unrelated to the FAA. I believe that has to do with airline employee pensions. Yeah, and uh, they're not unrelated and, to aviation.
1: Uh, Here's what one of my lobbying buddies told me yesterday. Uh, This thing got to the Senate floor and started to get talked up last week late, and there was some flurry of excitement that it might get moved along pretty expeditiously uh, because it was a fairly clean bill, and it got to the Senate floor, and airline employee pensions, and admittedly a lot of airline employees have gotten big-time hurt over the bankruptcies and the way they were victimized because of the laws. Uh, also, over the airspace reorganization or redesign, over the New York, New Jersey area, oh, yeah. over yeah. the uh, DOT's plan to let airports impl- implement peak hour pricing schedules for landing fees, uh, over... Uh, Forcing the FAA back to the table with the National Air Traffic Controllers Association, which I personally don't think would be a bad thing, but uh, it, it's like there's a Christmas tree available and everybody's got a little ornament. Mm-hmm. So a couple of days ago, the Senate leadership called what that what's termed a cloture vote, that is a vote to end a filibuster, because somebody just has to threaten the filibuster and 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 it gets. Put on hold, and it takes sixty-six votes, sixty-seven votes. I'm sorry to break the Six, filibuster. Yeah, no, it takes sixty. It takes just sixty? I'm sorry, that's right, sixty takes two-thirds to override a veto. That's a different thing. Anyway, they were at fifty-one votes to in debate, fifty-two votes, something like that. So the bill is still up for debate, and if it gets pulled or if they try to vote on it without somebody getting their say, then they're going to filibuster it and just talk until everybody dies. So Hmm. they pulled it from consideration in hopes of some of the committee leaders involved in this thing can negotiate a way to get around this with some of the proponents of the amendments that are holding the whole thing up. Uh, The skeptics that I'm hearing from, uh, we're going to be on a continuing resolution, which just continues funding it last year until next january or february Uh, the optimists are saying they may be able to get this back on and get it through around uh, somewhere between independence day and labor day and that's saying nothing about the possibility or probability that our favorite commander-in-chief will veto the whole bloody mess once it gets there
3: i would i would say that if it doesn't get done between now and fourth july you can pretty
1: much cash it in. Yeah, uh,
3: it's 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 not going to happen after Labor Day. Not not something. A third of, a
1: third of the Senate and a hundred percent of the House are up for reelection, and they're going to want to spend their summer vacation doing something that gets them campaign really? funds and votes.
3: It's it, even bigger than that, though. It's a presidential election year, and everything uh, on Capitol Hill soon will be driven by the presidential politics. It seems um, like
1: everything's been on hold over this election since around two thousand and six. Mm-hmm.
3: So, is this just is this just
0: normal everyday Washington snafu, or or is this some sort of maneuvering to to this take happened. down the compromise that took out user fees? This has happened before.
1: This is this right. is really more SOP than yeah. than than an aberration, okay. Jack. But I'm sorry to say. Yeah, but but I guess my
0: question is whether this. How much? How, you know, how much does this put the compromise that took out user fees? How much in, does that endanger this?
3: It, it isn't a lot. Not a lot. To, to, not well, a lot. The, you know, the
1: stuff uh, that's holding it up is is not related to user yeah. fees. It's related to anything but user fees. I, Jeff, I,
3: I, but if I, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. But what I what I would say is that. The endangerment to uh, to the user fee agreement to the extent that there is an agreement as opposed to a, a kind of a default choice uh, hinges on whether or not the same players are involved in this mixing this soup next time yeah. and they will not be you know, there will be some changes to the players, and all it takes is for one of them to come in and say, "Well, I never agreed to that that's not my that 's not how I look at this yeah. i mean so, all,
1: all the bills die when Congress adjourns.
2: Right from the and NBA. we got a new Congress
1: comes back in January and everything has to get refiled and go through the bloody pipeline again.
2: James, go ahead. Yeah, this will be a a large setback from the NBAA's perspective. This will completely set the clock back to zero. Essentially, they are anticipating that if this happens, then they are going to have to start the whole fight all over again. That again, you're going to see those ad dollars from the airlines concentrated in Washington telling that same story of the, the people who are late for their golf tee-off time and they're going to have to do this whole thing all over again.
1: My, my gut instinct next Congress, next White House administration is not going to be such a bitch to deal with.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well,
1: that's just well, my gut.
3: Yeah, I, I, I would disagree with that. I think their priorities are going to be different. Um, Absolutely. I, I think that um, for different reasons they will um, probably be supporting some kind of user fee uh, also however yeah um for, for for reasons unrelated to uh, uh, party politics, well, this, Let's put it this there came
1: like. up under Clinton's administration because all it the did. economists and all the all the think tank guys like to get on board of the pay as you go thing, mm-hmm. and they don't really like acknowledging the idea that paying a fuel tax and a ticket tax is paying as you go and proportional to how far you go. So uh, you know this comes back up on the radar screen every time the FAA is reauthorized.
2: Uh, the important
1: the, thing is we got somebody up there that's not going to use it like a political ping pong ball, and people on Capitol Hill that institutional memory-wise predominantly remember what makes the trains run best. Yeah. James, which is ahead. the excise taxes.
2: Uh, uh, my recollection, you know, just kind of we don't know who is going to, uh, you know, prevail come November. But my recollection is that uh, John McCain has not been looked upon favorably by the. Business aviation industry oh, absolutely in the past. Not. Yes. Absolutely
3: go, to, not. go to AOPA and search McCain, and you'll come up with I don't know any number of hits. Basically, McCain and Phil Boyer got into a. Uh, a urination contest, for lack of a better term. Well,
1: McCain blocked back Boyer from
3: o- being appointed to the Back in an o- o- two oh o- three, yeah. exactly. Uh, McCain right. blocked Boyer from being appointed to the uh, um, uh, 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 manage- aviation management committee. Yeah, aviation management committee, which was the uh, kind of the board of directors of the FAA, mm-hmm. um, and um, there was just a major uh, uh, conniption about some of this. Boyer, as far as I'm concerned, was on the side of the angels throughout. Yes, uh, and, and McCain really showed a lot of his intemperament, for lack of a better term, um, that uh, I think we'll see some more of here between now and in November. Well,
1: um, to me, he also showed an underlying bias. willingness to live with whoever's lobbying funds are the best ones right. to have in your right, campaign right. chest. Hmm. I mean it's, it's, this goes all the way back to the Keating thing. Hmm. In, in in terms of that mentality. Yeah. But right.
0: is Senator McCain still a uh, pilot? Is he an active pilot? No.
1: Not that I've heard, no.
0: Not that I've heard. Okay. Uh, what is uh, what is Senator Obama's uh, track record as far as
3: aviation is concerned? Do we know? Don't know. I don't think we
2: know. I
3: think that um uh, it just hasn't been on his radar screen. I think also, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well,
2: I mean, we well and, and well, he's from Illinois. I wonder what he had to say, if anything, about Meg's field. Well, at the here's time. the well, thing that's, about the way
1: these campaigns run. Okay, is that oh, and he was in the state legislature in Illinois, I believe, when some of this went down. Yeah. But back in the deep depths of the unseen part of the Clinton Obama and McCain campaigns are people working up position papers on virtually every imaginable issue under the sun Mm -hmm. and aviation is going to be one of them Uh, but we're not going to see much of this in any detail until after the uh, political conventions declare nominees on both sides. And then you're going to see a flood of it, and nobody will report it, and we'll barely know anything about it unless we actively go seek it out, soak it up, and wring it out for ourselves.
0: Well, that's, that's our job here. We'll, we'll do a that's little right. digging, figure it out. I've got next? a shovel. What's next? Uh, oh man, we got
1: to um, talk about this OFT that, that thing. Was,
0: that's actually the next thing that's on my list here. Uh, Jeb, did you have something else you wanted to yeah, add I was, to that before we, we were talking? Move
3: on? We were talking, or a question came up uh, a moment or two ago about the uh, the number of general aviation aircraft. Ah, okay. And I took it upon myself to look that up as of November thirty of two thousand seven. Uh, well, the data is from November uh, thirty two thousand seven. The, the uh, The calendar period is uh, fiscal 2006, which ended um, in uh, September 2006. There were 221,900 general aviation non-air carrier aircraft.
1: Okay. Okay. Non
3: 121 aircraft.
1: That's up about a down. couple of thousand just with last yeah. year's deliveries minus whatever yeah. was retired.
3: But it was down uh over O five by about f- four and a half uh I'm sorry, about forty five hundred aircraft. Mm, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. According to this data, and this data is uh on the FAA website, so it's it's uh, Forty five hundred drop in aircraft registered? From oh five
1: to 06. five to oh six? It does seem-
3: uh, oh, that's huge. 3,000 of them were pistoned.
1: Oh, wait a minute. I wonder how many of them came off the registry because they were exported.
3: Well, I I wonder how mm. that also. I wonder okay. that also. Because um. our Comanche, we
1: sold it to a, a college professor in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, then after he got Aviation Jones, he got a fiancé, a marriage, and a mortgage and sold the airplane to a guy in the uh... maritimes of canada mm-hmm. so that airplane came off the u.s. registry yeah uh... Yeah. And, well, and another I've got yeah. a friend that's exported about a dozen one fifties in the last six months to a buyer in south america brazil to be exact huh. uh... Yeah. oh yeah they're snatching them up like crazy
3: yeah. another little tidbit here just you know i'll shut up and we can move on to something else in uh, 2005, uh, according to the FAA, there were 200 light sport aircraft in the inventory. By the end of 2006, there were 1,300.
2: That's growth.
1: Wow. 11, if you could get in separate numbers right now, it would be up to about 2,300, 2,400. It, it would
3: be. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Moving on here. Uh, here we go,
3: Dave. I don't want to Excuse get
0: crabby here. But. The off-field landing of the week. <laughs> this is a good one, I'll tell you. You don't want to get any more crabby. Uh, that's
3: more. right.
1: In a pinch, I can't.
0: Listener, hmm. listener, Frank posted this for us in the forums. <laughs> um, he's quoting from a uh, from a story on the K H O U, which I believe is a TV station dot com website. Uh, let me read this here. Three fishing buddies were returning from Port Lavaca Tuesday night when their single engine plane's engine quit uh, in midair. The small Cherokee w- uh, was put down on a vacant lot about a mile short of the runway at Hobby Airport. So that would be Houston. Uh, and that was
1: on April 29th. Okay. Just To give you the time frame,
0: the force of the crash broke off the plane's nose gear and crumpled the plane's fuselage. fuselage. Okay, here's where it gets good. All right, and while no one was hurt from the crash, one passenger aboard the plane did receive numerous crab pinches. <laughs> Here's a quote. When, when this happened, Craig was sitting in the back, and he said the cooler just went. Crabs went all over him, biting him left and right, said Georgette McGuire, the girlfriend of one of the men aboard the plane. He said it was driving him crazy. He's got a bunch of crab bites on him. <laughs> and the last line in the story is the, F- F- the Federal Aviation Administration is investiga- investigating what caused the See, plane's ending if, if, if they just mm.
3: had, you know, some some cocktail sauce... <laughs> Some <laughs> melted butter and lemon or something, and he was some holding uh, that in right, his hand. Some The, crackers, the crabs they... had gone the other way. You know, hmm. you,
0: you you execute a, a wonderful, well, not wonderful, but you banged up the airplane. But you got down safely. You good off-field landing of the week. All right, and everybody
1: and, walked away, and
0: presumably somebody
2: had a good seafood a, dinner. Yeah, all or for scuttled because, away yeah,
0: because because the uh, the
2: crabs got loose. I don't know. Well, this I you know. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of those crabs involved in the crash died, so can we say it was without fatalities? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh,
1: man, you mean that airplane crashes can call, cause cracked crab?
3: <laughs> I don't know. Reminds me of a, it reminds me of a Well, story. they survived
2: the crash. It was afterwards. That's that they right.
3: They the survived project.
1: the crash, but not the steam pot.
2: <laughs> right.
3: reminds me of a story. A guy years ago was flying a, a large single or a a medium-sized twin uh he's doing night cargo work on demand and this kind of thing and um on one trip he was asked to fly two caskets with bodies in them and the question arose how to list the number of bodies on board
2: well, it's souls on board, and only it, Well, mine. exactly. That's, they're, that's they're how he got set.
3: Yeah. Well, so, no, the, the blank says people. The well, blank says you, number of people on board. Uh, I'm sure. So, so what know. he did is yeah. put down the number of live persons on board. And in the remarks column, the number of of unlov
0: that 's right there's uh, there 's a recent episode of the uh, pilot cast podcast where they had a guest uh, in their hangar um, who was a uh, uh, quite the itinerant pilot i mean he 'd just like flown all sorts <coughs> of missions in his years, and he tells a a, a great classic ghost story because he used to fly corpses. And in one particular, oh, and early in his flying corpses days, um, he had an aircraft that required them to actually strap the corpse in the body bag in the right seat. Oh no! (laughs) Okay, and and on one particular flight like this, um, he was it was a it was a dark and stormy night as the guy likes to point out. (laughs) It was a dark and stormy night, and and coincidentally at the exact same moment as a big flash of lightning, the body in the bag. Apparently, this is normal dead bodies will occasionally jerk, all right? It's a sort of remnant of the brain function or something like that, okay? So at the very moment that this flash of lightning went off, the body in the right seat, like, sat up straight, okay? And the guy said he just nearly flipped out. He just nearly, you know...
1: Ah, man, I'm not sure I could have brought it down in one piece.
0: uh, Yeah, Mm. yeah, so... uh, he said he said after that flight was when he told his uh his uh, employer that they were going to get a bigger airplane so that they could slide, <laughs> slide the coffins into the cargo area. Oh, um, man. But uh yeah, yeah, I've heard of dying to get into aviation, but that beats it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a so but so there the lesson to be learned from our off-field landing of the week, I think, is next time you go flying with one of your buddies and they ask you to carry the cooler in your lap, say no.
2: Yeah. Or have a big uh, band or rubber band around yeah. it. I was, was going to say there's Velcro
1: straps and tie wraps and all sorts of things to close those lids. But
2: I mean, you don't want that happening. Any if they could have been wandering around, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, I ha- a, f- a friend of mine, uh, Craig Payton, flies a Mooney and does a lot of uh, film work from his uh, 35-millimeter aerial stuff. Hmm. And at one point, he had, unfortunately, a mouse infestation in his aircraft. The mice had gotten in. It was terrible. He was trying to get them out. And this took a period of time. But before he completed it, he was actually coming out of Oshkosh and was over the lake and he had a right – somebody in the right seat who was deathly afraid of mice and one went up the guy's pants leg. Yeah. And he started <laughs> freaking out and almost, you know, really almost caused a, a, cr- the cr- a crash. And, and Craig had to look, you know, you're going to kill us. You know, sip – and they had get it down and, like, you know, the guy was completely freaked out. But – uh you got to watch out for those little critters loose in the airplane (laughs) one of my very
0: very first flying lessons one of my very earliest flying lessons um the during the ground session we had been talking this very flight we had been talking in the ground session about you know concentrating and not being distracted by things that happen in the cockpit and my instructor actually told me this story about how he had heard that someone had actually crashed because a bee had gotten into the cockpit and And everybody, you know, the pilot had freaked out, and they'd lost control of the aircraft. So now we're flying the flight portion of my lesson, and we're doing pattern work there at Palo Alto, and and so we're... We're kind of going round and round and so on one particular downwind as we're just kind of cruising downwind and getting ready to turn base and suddenly a, a a very large stinging bee i think it was like a yellow jacket or something like that just kind of casually crawled out from somewhere onto the panel all right inside our aircraft all right and and i and you know my instructor and I, i think we both saw it at exactly the same time you know and we just sort of slowly looked at each other and said Okay, I'm fine, you know. But then, <laughs> but then my instructor, who this particular day had decided to wear short pants, right? so he had bare legs, so he was a little nervous about this whole thing, he grabs a sectional, and he's, like, trying to, like, you know, Get it to go out the out the window, you know. He oh opened, no, no! Opened Kill the, the
1: sucker, man! Helped That's vent, what a kneeboard's you know? for. So
0: he's waving at the thing, you know, and I'm going, and I'm going, don't make it mad at me. What are you doing here? And so he's waving at it, and it eventually disappeared. And uh, you know, we I don't know what happened to it, whether it went out the vent or whether it was you know in the back seat waiting all along, but. <laughs> But I was, I was I was determined not to be one of those people who was killed by a yellow jacket in my airplane. Have you ever
1: seen yeah. the movie Snakes on a Plane? No,
0: and I don't want to.
3: <laughs> oh, man, you got to go see the movie. At least see it once. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and you really should. It's no, great fun. No, no, fun. no, no, no.
0: Snakes under any circumstances are just <laughs> not entertaining for me. I don't want to hear about it. I want to make one final comment about this off-field landing of the week story. I, so, as I was reading this KHOU dot com story, um, you you guys may have noticed that I was editing as I went along, um, because I I characterized it as the engine quitting and the plane's engine quitting. When in fact, the terminology that they used in this story was the planes, the engines, the single-engine plane stall, stalled. Stalled, right? right? And that the last line said the FAA is investigating what caused the plane to stall. And these things, I know it's, it's probably minor in the scheme of things, but it just annoys me that they can't get the terminology probably right. probably
1: got the nose too high and the power too low, yeah. and she
0: went... Oh, you want to go down now? Yeah, but that's not what happened. From reading the story, so uh,
2: how do we wait? But there's I don't know. two. So one says it stalled on final, a mile from the airport, and the other says it, it, the engine stopped a mile from the airport. So I think uh, they, they, they're they're just misusing you know? the
0: word stall. They're using stall like in your car stalling, and uh, you know the engine stopped well, a mile from he he the airport. It's totally different.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, airplane engines don't stall like a manual shift car right. on a hill. Right, right. And so this you, is know, you don't an add power, me. and they go.
0: Oh no, too high a gear.
2: It just annoys me. Anyways. but no, I, my question: Did somebody get it? Did the first one say, and in fact, the engine didn't quit, but in fact, they stalled. No, and I, it stopped and hit the ground.
0: Well, we've got four paragraphs worth of information here, so who the heck knows for sure? But it seems to me that what happened here <coughs> is the engine quit. And, oh, that
1: uh, once a month, we ought to do the yeah. media bl- club of the month.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. Well, we'd have to do that more than once a month, I'll tell you. It's full
2: entry. <laughs> but uh, it's there's... nice because if you saw the AOPA site, they've got – and mentioned here that they've generated like 2,000 positive press reports about general aviation over the past uh, two years or what is 1,000 They because they're getting uh, a lot of the media on these flights. And they're, the media is yeah. using words like adventure, excitement, and freedom. Yeah, so AOPA that's, has that's been doing a really
0: good job of of managing the press, and and that's a good thing. But anyways, we better move on here. Um, this isn't on the list, but it just occurred to me. I wanted to ask you guys about this. Um, Dayjet, what the heck is going on with uh, Dayjet? Yeah, Dayjet announced. Dayjet is the yep. uh, is the is for lack of a better term, the air taxi service that is using yep. um, the Eclipse jet. Am I right about that? Um, yes. And we're trying to well, build the the business the around. Inter- uh, Doing its taxing. whole
1: business model is built around the Eclipse oper- direct right. operating costs. And they announced mm-hmm. the
0: other day that they're
2: laying off a whole bunch of people. And did they actually yep.
0: cancel orders, or are or they? Uh-
2: they are ex- no. selling <laughs> or leasing a number of planes that they already have in their pos- possession, I guess, or that are about to take into possession. I think what well, it's like from a fleet of twenty-eight, like sixteen of them are going to go, something like that. And what happens is they say they don't have the money. So is this because just of, the economy? Yeah, they talked
0: about not being able to raise the financing they needed to go yeah. to the next step. But now a little my bit question of it's the is,
1: economy? Yeah, a little bit of it's the economy.
0: How, is, I, is any of this the fact that Eclipse? I mean, with all due respect, they they're really kind of behind the curve here in terms of getting that their doesn't
1: That doesn't help. That doesn't help the prospects any.
0: But if we were a
1: year ago, and Dayjet was asking for forty million dollars a year eighteen months ago, uh, there would have been people ready and willing to sign up and they would probably be using borrowed money themselves but that's another story.
2: Now is this going to um, aggravate the problems over at Eclipse? Uh, they probably for the near term have enough people for the ones rolling off the assembly line that's well, listen, prob- not, not a problem but look, they were look, counting look, on I think 1400 orders right? From, I was going to say we're check. looking
1: at somewhere in the neighborhood of 50% of Eclipse's acknowledged order book half of its business base. Mm-hmm. Uh, if something seriously went south with Dayjet in the total of these 1400 orders, it'd be really interesting to see how uh, Eclipse adapted to that because losing that production volume is going to have a tremendous impact on the uh, per unit costs that uh, that they're going to need to recover over the
2: remaining model units that they've sold, so they if, have. Ba- you go ahead. James. They've based uh, a, a lot of their projections on a robust air taxi industry. That's if right. the problems are more than just a lack of financing, that uh, that's going to impact other companies that are trying to start their own services, which are substantially different. Dayjet has a unique model and that they have shared cabins and you kind of bid based on how soon you have to go in the window of your departure Uh, everybody else is doing it pretty much it's like just low-cost charter all the other air taxis but it's going to make it hard for everybody if Dayjet has a problem because they were the best known the best financed had it all figured out they 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 kind of matched
1: Eclipse and Vern Rayburn and their own flamboyance about this Mm -hmm. Uh, no I take that back they don't deserve that uh they they were the more visible more audible of the uh startup ideas that were built around airplanes like the eclipse and the Atom 700 mm-hmm. a 700 that's not with us currently but may soon be again with new owners right. but uh you know so much of eclipse's business model was predicated on as as you say an active air taxi market, and the inordinately low per-dollar DOCs, direct operating costs mm-hmm. of the airplane, were a huge attraction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and even when they had to step out of the uh, EJ-22 Williams engines and into a more fuel-thirsty but higher-powered and apparently better suited Pratt & Whitney 600 series engines, uh, the cost model was still attractive enough for you know people like Iacobucci to stay on board. But that I, big order book also influenced how Eclipse priced its airplanes over the long term. You know, I, tell you, I talked A high-volume turnaround for 1,400 units guaranteed is going to help lower the individual unit costs. And if that, you know, if that base goes away, uh, I'm not saying that they're going to run out and... Try to, you know, uh, renegotiate contract prices. What I am saying, though, is that it will have an influence on their uh, uh, volume production ideas and their total cost per unit in the long run. Yeah.
0: Jeb, you're being uncharacteristically quiet here.
3: Um, I I, uh, I don't have anything to say on this topic. Yakabuchi, you know, had a great Has a great idea. It uh, looks like the uh, the Florida economy, which is, you know, uh, uh, it looks like the Florida economy is really part of the problem here. He has uh, put together a business model that uh, caters to middle and upper level management uh, of companies without the resources to acquire their own aircraft, um, allowing them to basically bypass um, the, uh, the airline uh, <coughs> network and uh, fly direct or, or more or less direct from point to point. He set it up in Florida. Uh one of the sp- specific routes that he he's tried to uh uh develop is something along the lines of Boca to uh uh Gainesville and on to Tallahassee. Uh and there's probably a great need for that. The that route uh it encompasses a number of, or a lot of miles. It's it's uh uh, a, a, a several-hour trip just to go from from one end of the state to the other, Tallahassee, of course, being the state capital. Um, I think he overestimated uh, uh, the market demand for that, but perhaps more importantly, um, the economy has not allowed, the economy in Florida specifically, has not allowed the market to develop as he wanted. Um the florida economy is is very depressed with the real estate crunch um and as gas prices increase uh the tourism segment of, of uh, florida's industry will continue to compress well, and gotten cheaper there will be a ripple there will be a ripple effect mm-hmm. um the eclipse uh, also has some some teething pains yeah yep uh well, there there are the, the hardware issues um uh, it is not hardware
1: is ready for prime time player,
3: right? Well, let, let me say I talked to somebody about a month
2: ago who is a, a Dayjet member, as they call it. You buy a membership that sort of gives you access, is how you go in. It. Uh, he lives in the Boca area, and it has absolutely revolutionized the way he does business. Even though they've only been in business themselves since, I guess uh... the end of last year he's flying them weekly he's going all of he's a, a developer it's allowed him to get out of the south florida real estate market and be doing business in other parts of the state and even in the southeast and uh... so there seems to be a value for for people out there uh, and jeb just your your comment about the economy That would seem – I'm not saying that's wrong, and clearly the the economy is awful here, but from what Ayakobuchi had to say, I mean, he he seems to indicate the opposite, that there's no problem – with the existing customer base, but to roll it out to the extent that then you could reach the economies of scale that would make it profitable, right? He he's, can't get that money because if he's if fibbing and the idea is actually, I'm, you know, I can't even get customers in floor, then that's something that would be much more he, he, he's me.
1: He's got fifteen hundred members, and about a third of them that have flown it multiple times, and a smaller number that are flying it almost weekly uh but to get to the critical mass where all the numbers work you know this is like selling you know this is like selling burgers at mcdonald's yeah yeah you couldn't open up that nice store and sell those cheap burgers unless you're selling tens of thousands of them a week right and for his business model to work he needs more airplanes and a larger network and larger networks can allow him to to recruit more members and sell more seeds but to get to that critical mass he needs millions more in capital he's shown that it's fairly workable on that on that small scale of florida to southern georgia and and south carolina and and those environments where they're running now But to roll it out, and think about it, 1,400 airplanes, we're not talking about a regional operation here. We're talking about a guy looking at going national.
3: Yeah,
0: and therein lies the problem. He can't raise the money. So maybe a couple of years down the line, if things will turn around, he'll be able to pick it up again. And
3: uh, Well, all that's well and good. Um, but I, I, I know for a fact, as one example, that recently um, in, in the, at an airport in Florida, uh, 10 of his airplanes were sitting in a hangar, idle. Mm. Uh, irrespective of the uh, state of the Florida economy and irrespective of yes. how many members he has you ain't going to make no money if your airplanes sit idle yeah. that's yeah. true Jeff, yeah. I, think yeah. it's, I think it's so sad that you don't have anything to say about this particular subject right?
0: <laughs> moving on here uh, let's see now James you teased us with a whole bunch of things towards the bottom of the list here we're running out of time why don't you pick one and we'll save the rest of them for another time
2: uh, let's see Uh, Looking forward to going up to uh, the folks that found aircraft, been working on their expedition, on uh, their bush plane. You know, they had the Bush Hawk before, Uh Uh, and it was operated uh, up by the Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska and others, but they wanted to get something with a little more oomph. So their expedition is the answer. It uh, all the paperwork is in for Canadian certification. They expect FAA certification to follow shortly, and uh, I'm looking forward to going up there uh, later this month to to see it myself, try it out. For someone
0: who sh- splits his time between Florida and the Big Apple, you seem to be pretty well connected into the bush pilot world. Uh.
2: Well. You know, I think we all have a little bit of bush pilot in us, right? That's kind of, we all like to think we could that is get right. out there and mix it That's up. Right. And,
0: yep.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, and especially with somebody who knows what they're doing in the right seat, it makes me feel that much more comfortable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There you go. Well,
2: <laughs> well, have a good
1: time. I'm jealous. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank okay. You. Quickly, shout outs. What do you guys want to call attention to here?
1: Well, a couple of things next month june i know that very often i come up with these things that i think are worth hollering about and timing be what it is i'm a week too late and, and a podcast short so I'm trying <laughs> to push this out a little bit and say okay folks out in the west coast golden west Fly-in coming june six seven eight we'll have a link uh it's a great show i only got to attend once a long time ago uh, and they've got some uh, really interesting acts lined up. They're even going to have some sport-class Reno racers there this year. Uh, if you're not far enough west to make that a weekend trip, the same weekend, Saturday, June 7, AOPA has its fly-in and open house at Frederick, Maryland, which I've never attended, mm, but have really? lived in the area once and been to the building a couple of times. Uh, I understand it's really quite a... a, a Information and, and saturation heavy single day event. There is a no tam for it. There will be a temporary tire set up there, as there will be a Golden West. Uh, you know, so make sure you mind your paperwork, get the no tam's and all that. But those are two really attractive events that GA pilots might want to put on their calendar yeah. on opposite sides of the country same I've been, weekend.
0: I've been to both those fly-ins. As a matter of fact, I was strictly speaking one of the uh, founders. Not. Uh, Of many of uh, Golden West. I was a volunteer when Golden West was a little local fly-in at Tracy Airport in California. Um, And it's since grown to be a much bigger thing and uh, is sort of one of the, quote-unquote, EA regional uh, fly-ins, although they're not really EA regional fly-ins anymore. But – yeah, they've done some great things with that fly-in, and it's uh, moved. It's it's in the Central Valley of California. I can't remember exactly what airport it's at these days, but I believe it's someplace within shouting distance of Sacramento, California. I believe. And uh, but uh, it
1: is at uh, Yuba County Airport in Marysville, California. There
0: you go. There you go. My old stomping ground. Two and, great fly-ins. You know
1: the website's worth visiting just to get a look at the poster. Oh,
2: beautiful, beautiful yeah. poster. Yeah.
0: Any other shout-outs? outs? Not from me. Okay. Then uh, let's see now. I want to thank you guys. Uh, thanks to Jeb, who, uh, as we all know, is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviation safety magazine, and avweb.com. Thanks, Jeb, for being with us today. My pleasure. Uh, Dave Higdon, uh, an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. Learn more about him and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash sales And what was that other one you told us about last week, Dave?
1: A-E-A- uh, AEA.net, work I do for avionics news.
0: That's right. And thanks to uh, James Winbrandt, to an author, an aviation journalist, and musician, and uh, still with no web presence, but you Google his name, you'll learn about all the, <laughs> the books, both aviation-related and otherwise, that he's written. Hey,
1: if you just go to the uncontrolled airspace, you can check out on uh, on, on Jim's uh, now. You, you can book actually on painless dentistry.
0: That's right. If, oh, you, that's great. if you if you buy his book uh, about painless dentistry by clicking on the link on our homepage, we actually make like seventy-five cents, I think. So uh,
2: well, one of the great woo! thrills I had recently was at Sun and Fun and meeting. Will, while we were doing our podcast, and Will heard about the book. Will Hawkins, oh, this is. Yes, through the podcast. His wife is a dentist. He bought her the book, and she's like, loves it, so he <laughs> was, like, all over me. It was wonderful. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Very cool.
0: Check out uh, James on the Web by Googling his name, and you'll learn about all this stuff. And, uh, and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. So thank you, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar tonight, and we'll talk to you all again next time.